I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as we get ready to jump back into our new series that we've titled From Death to Life. From Death to Life. We've been walking through this jam-packed chapter. God has been so good to us as we've been learning from his word, diving deep into this powerful chapter. And in the first five verses, we see so much about ourselves And now we're turning the corner to see so much about him. And that's what we need to see today. We need to see a clear picture of him. I want us to just go ahead and read verses 1 through 5 so that we can be reminded of where we came and jump headfirst into where we're going this morning. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. The text says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He goes on to say in verse three, among whom we all once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we are. Dead in our sins and trespasses, By nature, children of the wrath of God because of our sin. Say it with me, verse four. But God. Come on, say it stronger than that. But God. You gotta know that right there. You gotta jump into those two words right there. No matter what you've done, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And here's our verse for today. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, say alive, alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. A kind lady gave uh, one of the best compliments I've received yet in the journey of church planning this morning, right after we prayed in in our morning prayer before we jumped into our service. She said, man, it feels good to be at an alive church. Come on, right? That's, that should be the definition of his church because he has made us alive together with Christ. That's our story. Alive together with Christ. I want to preach a message to you today that I'm titling Grace, Glorious Grace. We're just saying it and I want us to hear it from the word of God himself. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, dash by grace, you have been saved. I want to highlight this phrase as we kick it off once again, even when we were dead in our trespasses. This is now the second time in just a couple sentences, or I mean just a couple verses, this is all one long sentence, in just a couple verses, this is the second time we see the Apostle Paul bring this in front of us. And it goes back to what Tony just shared. We never want to get too far away from the reality that apart from Christ, we're dead in our trespasses. It's this mindset that if it wasn't for Jesus, right? If it, if it wasn't for Jesus, we would be dead in our trespasses. We have all trespassed against God's 
law. He has given us clear instruction. He has given us clear direction, and we have disobeyed that at some point in our lives. We are all guilty of that at some point. The truth is probably today we have a couple times at some point. But with that, we see these verses here that, that we were dead in our trespasses, and we see God intervene in the middle of that. It would be as if, as if you were in a grave, dead, stinking, flies all on you, all right? Open grave, right? And God the Father comes walking along and sees you dead in your sin, in your trespasses, in your grave, and looks at you at that moment and says, I want that person alive. I want this person in my family. I want to be a friend to that person. I want that person to join my team. And in order for that to happen, he looks at his son, Jesus, and he says, would you be willing to take his place? Would you be willing to die in their place so that they could be made alive? That we were dead in our trespasses. If it wasn't for Jesus, right? I, don't, I want us to just use that phrase just for a second, if it wasn't for Jesus. Maybe you'd think, you know what, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have the job I had today, which is, could be good. If it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have the spouse that I have. If it, if it wasn't for Jesus, I wouldn't have got coffee this morning. I don't know what your thing is, but here's what I want you to focus in on. Those may be all good things, but if it wasn't for Jesus, you would be dead. That's what the Apostle Paul is reminding us here today. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would be separated from God for eternity. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on the Ephesians, says it like this. The unbeliever is not sick. He's dead. He does not need resuscitation. He needs resurrection. I want us to be reminded that that is us today. We're helpless apart from the risen Christ. We need to be resurrected. And good news is that we can be. Let's continue to look at this reality in Ephesians 2, verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I want to highlight that phrase, made us alive. Made us alive. This is important for us to hone in on right now because that's exactly what he's done for the believer. He's made us alive. We see a beautiful doctrine in scripture, doctrine, the study of God through the Bible. We see a specific doctrine that I want to point out for us right now in Ephesians 2, 5. Here it is, simply this, the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration. The word regeneration means something that has been regenerated which doesn't necessarily help you. So let's go ahead and look at the definition of the word regenerated, all right? Regenerated. Here's a few definitions of this word. The Webster's Dictionary says the word regenerated means to be formed or created again. The Oxford Pocket Dictionary defines regenerated. Bring into renewed existence. Generate again. Dictionary.com defines regenerated. To revive or produce anew, 
bring into existence again. These are the words that define us, amen? Right, we need to be formed and created again. We have completely blown it. We need like a makeover at the highest level. We need to be resurrected. We need to be renewed into existence. We need to be generated again is what the apostle is saying here. He made us alive together with Christ. I like how Tony Marita says it in his awesome commentary on the book of Ephesians. He says, he says we cannot overemphasize the importance of this doctrine of regeneration. Christianity is not about becoming a nicer person. If you got it, say, I got it. Got it. Nor is it about starting a new religious routine. If you, if you got it, say, I got it. got it. It's about becoming a new person. You got it? Right? It's not, hey, you know what? I want to come to Jesus because I want to be nicer. I, I hope that the, the, the faith of, in Christ would produce niceness in you, if that's a word, niceness. Um, I hope that it would help you grow in your affection for God and your, your character would be developed, your, your mind, your thinking, your actions, your, your integrity would grow. But ultimately, it's about becoming this new person. And the scripture says that he made us alive. I want to focus in on this a little bit more because it, it really is necessary that we understand this doctrine of regeneration. We see it on display for us in the Gospel of John in a conversation that Jesus Christ had with a man named Nicodemus, the original Saint Nick. All right? I want us to look at these verses on the screen here or in your Bible. Turn with me to John chapter 3. And let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. Isn't it so sweet of God that, that Jesus had conversations like this and we get to like peer in? Like, like Jesus, can we listen to what you shared with Nicodemus that night when he pulled you aside? Nicodemus was a religious man. He was an older gentleman. He was amongst the religious elite. This guy had a lot of biblical knowledge. He was a scholar. He was a leader in the day of culture. And here's the conversation we see. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That's two strong characteristics to describe Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, well, that's how I envision it, all right? He said, he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We got the teacher part down. You, you obviously have come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's being sarcastic here. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. Notice the capital S. Do y'all see it? Everything's intentional. Notice the detail. He cannot enter the kingdom of God, the first time Jesus says you can't see it, the second time says you can't even enter it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. 
essentially what's happening here. Nicodemus wants to have a conversation about miracles. Jesus wants to have a conversation about being born again, right? Nicodemus wants to know, how did you turn the water into wine? That was dope, right? How, word on the street is the other day you walked on the water. You must be something serious. What, what, what's going on in your life, Jesus? We know that you're a teacher from God because nobody could do these types of miracles, this level of miracles, unless God himself was doing something. So tell us, how do you do it? And notice the response of Jesus in John 3, verse 5. He says, truly, truly. Now, real quick, when Jesus has to give you a double truly, it's really true, all right? You know, like, he's like, let me make, he's like, truly, truly. <laughs> this is really true. We should listen up, and we should go to the bank with these words, right? This is as true as it gets. This is a filet mignon message from Jesus. Strong words here. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he's like, man, what, what just happened? Like, I wanted to know about the miracles. And Jesus is like, I'm trying to bring you into the greatest miracle of all. See, I could talk to you about temporary miracles, and it won't help you that much. Right? But I want to talk to you about a spiritual miracle that will change your destiny. That will not just change your today, but that will change your eternity. Come on. Right, that will change your today, yes, for sure, and your tomorrow, and the rest of your life, and will lead you on a pathway to heaven. Right? I could, I could do temporary miracles all day long, and they'll just go ahead and pass with the wind. I want to change your life, Nicodemus. He goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is talking about here this new spiritual birth. Jesus came to institute the doctrine of regeneration. Remember the definition. To be made new, formed again, right? To put the, 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 those things on you. Boom! I can breathe again. I can see again. I can live again. I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but Jesus generated my heart. We see this actually as a prophecy fulfilled out of the book of Ezekiel. Jesus highlights born of water and the spirit here, right? Now, some of us erroneously in the faith have, have said that this is referring to baptism. But I believe this doesn't have anything to do with baptism because if that was the case, Jesus would have said, unless one is baptized. Jesus has no problem using the words baptized and in other places. But right here he says, unless one is born of water, He's talking about a new birth. There's water involved. There's the spirit involved. And he's actually referencing a prophecy from a prophet in the Old Testament named Ezekiel. Everybody say Ezekiel. Ezekiel. It's an awesome name. Amen. Let's go ahead and look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 through 27. For our note takers, check it out. This is a prophetic word that the Messiah will one day come. And when the Messiah one day comes, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Praise God, it's clean, amen? <laughs> Sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. 
I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my, see the capital S? I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk. I love the walk verses. Everybody say walk. I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I love these verses right here. He says, I'm going to cause you to do it. It's not even going to be your own strength. People sometimes say, man, Hayden, it's so hard to live the Christian life. And I say, I know because you can't live it. You need him to live it. God, I need you to cause me to do it. I can't do it on my own strength. I need to be caused by the Spirit of God. I'm not careful on my own to be obedient to his rules. I need the Spirit to cause me to be careful to obey his rules. Jesus is saying, you need an Ezekiel 36 moment, Nicodemus. Right, Nicodemus, knowing the Old Testament verses, being a scholar, he was a Pharisee, a studier of the, uh, the Old Testament, a, a study of the Pentateuch, right? He, he would have known these prophetic words out of Ezekiel 36. And Jesus says, you need that type of encounter. I can give it to you. I have the living water. I can make you alive again. I could regenerate your life, Nicodemus. The cool thing about Nicodemus' story is I believe he was changed this night. Right? He was amongst the religious elite. He was a Pharisee. You see in John chapter 20, after Jesus uh, has died on the cross and now is buried in the tomb, it was actually Nicodemus that showed up and said, hey, hey, I, I, I want to help. I, I want to get his body. I want to make sure he's wrapped up. I, 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 I believe in this cat. Right? Like, I know, it's, I, know I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't shout it from the rooftops back in the day, but I, I need to be around Jesus. Nicodemus, he had an encounter Christ. He was changed. If you look at the, the, the old life to the new life, one of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. If that doesn't describe your story, maybe you, the new hasn't come yet. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect but we will be perfected by the perfect one himself where we continue to look more like Jesus day after day. And here's why, because we're alive. If you're alive today, don't act like you're dead, right? It wouldn't make any sense to go live amongst the graveyard and lay inside a, a, a tombstone and just lay there alive. That's, what's, that's what some people do, right? Live like you're alive. Don't go back to your old life. Amen. Walk in him because you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he made us alive. A beautiful doctrine that we don't ever want to get too far away from. That's why we approach the Lord's table and take of the bread and take of the cup because he made us alive. Right? Whenever we take those things, be reminded that he made us alive by his blood, by his body. We're made new alive. Let's go ahead and keep on going here. We see that he hasn't just made us alive, but Ephesians 2 verse 5 says, alive together with Christ. Together with him. I want to introduce us to another beautiful doctrine of scripture. We learned about the doctrine of regeneration, but there's another sweet doctrine here that's found in these couple words it's the doctrine of union with Christ union with 
Christ. Notice how it says together with him. We've made alive together with Christ. 164 times in the New Testament. Somebody say, that's a lot. That's a lot. lot. 164 times in the New Testament, the authors use the phrases either in him, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, or here we see with Christ to describe our relationship with him. What that is talking about is this. We can't escape the reality that the Christian is in Christ, with Christ, together with him. Like we can't, we, we don't just get saved and then leave Jesus, right? Like, oh, like I, I, I did that. I prayed the prayer when I was eight. I got baptized. I used to go to church. I'm good. Like I, I did that. The, the testimony of a true believer is that they're in Christ, with Christ, together with Christ. I promise you this. When I walked into this school today, I didn't walk in myself. I, I walked in Christ. I walked with Christ, together in him. This is the doctrine of the union of the gospel. We see this here in, uh, in, in Titus chapter three, verse four through six, and then we're gonna make our way to our last couple words today. Titus chapter three, verse four through six. Check out these verses right here. Write them down and revisit them during the week. I think it'll bless you. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, didn't he? Not because of works done by us in righteousness, as if we could save ourselves, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through him, we get to take part in this new life. We've been made alive together with Christ. We've been washed. We've been made new in him. Finally, I want us to go ahead and make our way to the last six words of our selected text this morning. It's Ephesians chapter two, verse five, which says, by grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. What he's telling us here is this. He's saying he's made you alive even though you're sinful, and here's how he did it, by his grace. We've been singing all about the grace of God this morning. By grace, you have been saved. Let's talk about that phrase, by grace. By grace. I want us to go ahead and focus in on this word, by grace. The word grace, by definition, is simply this, an undeserved gift from God. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we did to to contribute to it on our own. But it's by his grace that you and I have been saved. 18 times in the book of Romans, Paul references the grace of God. 11 times in the book of Ephesians, he references God's grace. This is the crown point of the apostle Paul's ministry and writing to us. He is passionate about grace and so should we be. All right? I want to give you four quick reasons why we should be passionate about the grace of God this morning, and then we'll be done. So let's go ahead and jump into these right now. The first thing why we should be passionate about grace is that grace saves us from death. Right? I want us to be reminded of that. Grace saves us 
from death. The, the, the apostle says, right? He says, you have been, you, you were dead, but God, by his grace. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, but by his grace, we have been saved. The ESV study Bible says, since Christians were dead, they first had to be made alive before they could believe. And God did that together with Christ. This is why salvation is by grace alone. This grace that we didn't deserve it, but we got it anyway. Right? Mercy is God not giving you what you deserve. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. We see that in the gospel. We don't deserve Jesus, do we? But he comes anyway. That's grace. The second reason why we need to be passionate about grace and why we should, be, why we should treasure the grace of God is that grace saves us from sin. Grace saves us from our sin. I love how John chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 says it. For from his fullness we have all received, say it with me, grace upon grace. Like, you, you received grace and then you blew it and guess what? Another level of grace. Every day we get to tap into this waterfall of grace. For the law was given through Moses. The law came in the Mo through Moses. You know what Moses told us to do? The rights and wrongs of the law. You must do it like this and not do it like that. But God sent his son through grace. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love how Judah Smith says it, a pastor out of Washington. He says, grace is a person and his name is Jesus. Right, like Jesus walks into the room, grace walks into the room. When you receive Christ, you receive grace. Every morning we should, we should take a shower under the waterfall of grace. Isn't that great that we get to do that? That's, that, that's the separator of Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is absent of grace. That's why we don't even call Christianity a religion. We call it a relationship with the grace-giving God who loves us enough to save us by his grace. Let me give you the third principle for grace. Grace is sufficient for us in our weaknesses. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 10, reads like this. The apostle Paul had a struggle. Amen, that's a good news, right? So he struggled, we struggle, we struggle together. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Has anybody ever felt like that? Raise your hand if you ever felt like that. You had something, you're like, God, can you just take this from me? Amen. I've had that. But here's what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. Come on. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He goes on to say, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions. Maybe you might have some of those things happen in your life calamities for when I am weak then I am strong go back to that verse just the first part of the verse right here's what he says he says the Lord spoke to me and said my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in our weaknesses friends our weaknesses are just demonstrations of God's grace in our lives right when, we're, when we don't have it all together we need to be that much more dependent on the grace of God when I'm weak I'm in need of his grace 
When I got a thorn in my flesh, I'm in need of his grace. When I'm struggling, I'm in need of his grace. And here's what he says. My grace is sufficient. Go ahead and go to it. Go for it. Lean upon it. Maybe you need to hear that word today. Not, 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 not maybe. You do need to hear that word today. And so do I. His grace is sufficient. Finally, I'll, I'll close with one more verse. Um, grace enables us to walk with confidence. Grace enables us to walk with confidence. I want you to hear that right there, that, that his grace, it, it gives us the ability so that we can walk with confidence in our God. I'll show it to you out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Look at these verses on the screen with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into what? This grace. We've obtained access into this grace in which we stand. In order for you to stand, you got to be confident, right? In order for you to rejoice in hope of the glory of God, you have to have this confidence about you to walk through life victorious, not defeated. The life of a Christian is a victorious life. We don't fight for the victory. We fight from the victory. We're already victorious, amen? That's a confidence that the grace of God has enabled us to have. He's given us access. I love that right there, that we have access by faith. That we have access into this grace in which we stand. This confidence that we're able to have in us. And, and, and just when you feel like you ran out of grace, in that moment you feel like, all right, I've had to use up all my grace. I've totally blown it. I know that God's grace is sufficient for my weakness. I know God's grace is sufficient to save me. I know God's grace can, can raise me up out of the grave. But I feel like I've just blown it all. I've used up all my grace. I love what God speaks through James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 4, verse 2. Check this out. Say those first few words with me. Ready? but he gives more grace. Know that, church. You think you've blown it? <clears throat> you think you've exhausted the grace of God? He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil by his grace. Tell the, tell the devil, no, not today. I'm walking in grace. And he'll flee from you. It's a promise from God. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Amen? If you don't know about God's grace today, and you need to receive him today, and be covered under the waterfall of grace, today is the day for you to do it. If you're a believer in the house of God today, and you've felt the condemnation from the world and from sin and Satan, go ahead and remind your heart today of God's grace. The union that you have together with Christ. He says, I am the vine. You are the branch. What good is a branch just to be left down there on the ground? The Father wants to pick that branch up and connect it to the vine. That's where the power is, right? Union with Christ. 
this unity that we get to have together with the Father, by grace, we can be saved. Amen.